is that I mean, there are, when I was up coming up in my career, leaders would sit in boardrooms, they would delegate things to other people to do, like, right, we need to find someone else to do, so. we needed someone to find, to do social media, we need to outsource to an agency how we think about our content, we need to um, have someone else host the podcast, and so what I'm here to say, and my experience as a CEO of a rapidly growing company is that if you lead a business, it's time for you to take these actions. It's time for you to figure out how to host the podcast. It's time for you to figure out how to reply to comments. It's time for you to figure out how to post on LinkedIn every day. And I'm here to talk about all of the immense benefits about doing this and the things that it actually unlocks. But the key is that when leaders take action, the people that work at your business follow. And so the beauty of what's happened in my company is that as I've paved the way on things like LinkedIn and a podcast and live events and things like that, now more than 50% of my company spends their time posting on LinkedIn, recording podcasts, engaging in communities, and the benefits that we get out of that are we get incredible brand, right? So we get tons of all the people that are here today. I'm so grateful. And the people that know me know that a lot of people know our business because of the execution on LinkedIn. And I would argue right now that we have the compared to SAP, Salesforce, very large companies, very well-funded companies like Gong and others that we actually have the strongest execution on LinkedIn in the world as a business. And so the things that we get, we get customer acquisition from it. Our customer acquisition cost is very, very low because of the way that we operate. We get access to incredible talent. We have people from very large companies that are sending me DMs on LinkedIn saying, I want to leave my company and I want to work for you. How can you fit me into your organization? And so I'm able to access the talent from this. We get tons of immense benefits in terms of how employees actually feel about working here. We have very high scores in terms of employee engagement. I think the best that I've ever seen. And it's a lot of really strong things that all start from leaders taking action. I want to get into a framework here that I use as a leader. The three, three things that I focus on with the objective of creating what I call an unfair competitive advantage. Over a long period of time, what are things that I can do to separate myself from a competitive set, to be viewed as the only option, to be able to have a roadmap of either product or services that we're gonna to continue to build that are gonna deliver immense customer value. And because of the way that we source the insights that we're actually gonna build something completely different than what anyone else is building. And so let's get into it. Number one is insights. If you're taking notes here, number one is insights. And what I mean by that is insights from customers, info, insights from your team, and insights from the market generally. When I move forward, I'm going to talk through customer insights. I'm going to call it customer insights, but what it really means is people that currently pay you and people that could pay you but don't pay you right now, the overall market. And in these insights, the thing that I think is the major unlock is figuring out how to, how to master qualitative insights. Business professionals and business leaders have been trained for over a decade to focus mainly on quantitative data, CRM data, attribution data, um, getting things inside of spreadsheets, surveys, NPS, things like that. And when you look at quantitative data, and it is really useful, quantitative data is very useful. The thing that you don't get when you look at that is why. 
why is it like this? When the charts are going down or up, why is it happening? And how you unlock that is by spending time with your customers collecting qualitative insights. I'm going to talk through how we do this because I've created a system and a stream where these insights happen all the time. If I remember in 2012, when I started my career, if we wanted to do market research, there's only a couple of different ways. We would go out and hire a market research firm. They would have to figure out how to buy data. We would have to figure out how to send the survey. We'd have to incentivize them. We'd spend $20,000. It would take three to six months. Then all of a sudden we'd get some insights back. Or we would wait to have a conference happen that might be six months from now where the marketing team could spend time at the booth and wait for people to show up and then collect those insights. 10 years later, because of the maturity of the internet and how B2B buyers spend their time on the internet, we can get these insights all the time, every day. And so what we've done is we've created a community, a community that is built around not a location like Slack or LinkedIn, but around our point of view, which then allows us to post content and collect insights. I get hundreds of comments on my content every day. At the beginning, when I did this in 2019, I got three comments, but data nonetheless, right? So you got to start somewhere, data nonetheless, comments. I spent a lot of time doing free consulting so that I can collect the insights of what are people actually dealing with right now? What are they struggling with? What do they need to know? How can I help? Which then helps us form both a strategy about how our product is going to get built and how we're going to message. So collecting the insights is absolutely huge. If you don't have the insights, you're just guessing. And I find that leaders, and I'm very clear here that leaders should be doing this. I find that leaders outsource this to a product marketing team or somebody else to drive the business strategy. You need to have the insights and you need to get them directly from your customers. The next thing I want to talk through. So once you have all of these insights, then how are you going to be able to synthesize them, right? It's qualitative. So it's not like we're taking these and we're putting them in a spreadsheet and saying this person answered four here and then three over here. We're not putting this into a spreadsheet and doing data analysis. We're using it in our brain, put it in your brain, process it and synthesize it and then figure out where to go. And the reason that we do it this way is because if you use your brain and not a spreadsheet, I am positive that nobody else will build the same strategy as you. And I'm positive that your strategy will be better because you've gotten it directly from your customers. And so once we get into the strategy and the vision, how do we take these insights and then form? How are we going to use these insights to drive how we access and acquire talent? How are we going to use these insights to drive how we think about our culture? How are we going to use these insights to figure out how we execute product and customer experience, marketing, sales, everything. So I'm going to talk through some examples of some of this because I just see, I've seen this in my entire career about how companies think about the revenue generation process, sales and marketing combined. And when I collect these insights, I've collected these insights for more than 10 years and I've had a major breakthrough in 2016 when I did this, we were selling into hospitals in the US, there was 5,000 total hospitals emergency medicine physicians, people, ICU intensivists, people like that are, and I I studied and researched how people want to buy things. And what I found over and over is that the way that companies try to sell is the way that they want to sell. And it's completely different than how your buyer wants to buy. And it creates friction. 
And so with that, the key thing here is that most companies still focus on doing analog sales, where marketing's job is to figure out how to get open up a initial sales conversation where then sales has to identify the pain, bring people through a, some type of sales funnel and convert them where there was no actual desire to buy at the initial part of it, which creates inefficiencies on the sales side. And what we need to transition into is how do we think about doing and building a natively digital buying experience for our customers? What do our customers want? Our customers want to get access to information in the places that they spend every day. They want to get access to information inside of LinkedIn, inside of other social networks, inside of communities that they spend time with their peers. The reason is because they trust their peers the most. They trust their peers about the, the priorities that they have in their business, what technology that they're buying, what vendors they're using. All that stuff gets generated through word of mouth. Word of mouth is by far the most powerful way to drive business. Most companies think because it's word of mouth that they can't control it, that we don't have control over word of mouth or, or being able to increase it, but that is actually totally not true. And so in our business, and what I'm talking about when I think about word of mouth and how it's transitioned from in the 1990s, if you liked a product, then you could tell your neighbor to now, if you like a product, then you can tell potentially thousands of people all the time, every day inside of places. If you're very passionate, a lot of people like me, I'm very passionate about several products and I'm very brand loyal. And when I am when I appreciate those categories and those brands, I tell a lot of people and I have a lot of pull for what people actually do and what decisions that they make because a lot of people trust me. And so how are you able to harness that in your business? The way that we do it is by generating content, which creates trust, creates authority, and then allows this, what I call dark social process to happen. Dark social, and I'll define it as where B2B buyers spend time inside of digital channels that scale word of mouth, sharing of content, overall advocacy that doesn't get tracked in traditional methods like attribution software. And so what we're able to do is we're able to share content inside of LinkedIn, and then a CMO of a company that we're targeting will take that content from LinkedIn, take the link, share it inside of their company Slack channel and give us access to all of the executives in their company by sharing my seven minute video with their business. And so because of dark social and because we can't track it, we can't exactly see exactly what's happening, but we know that a lot of things are being shared and a lot of activities happening. And then as the content gets shared, more and more people know about my company. They know about the people that work at my company. They know who our customers are. They know what our point of view is. I want to get into that next. How many uh, how many people here work at a professional services firm? Raise your hands high, please, so I have this. Okay, about fifty percent. So um, my business currently is a professional services firm. We're working on converting into a um, into a tech enabled service provider or even a full technology platform over time. And the key for professional services firms is that. Initially, your buyers will think that you're a commodity, right? If you're a marketing agency, most B2B buyers or most buyers generally are going to look at that accounting firm, marketing agency, sales consultancy, and just think they're all the same. 
And the key when I talk about the insights and I talk about how to drive the strategy is when you get the insights, you're able to form a unique point of view about how you see the world, right? I talked at the beginning about my company being focused on completely changing how companies think about this. Digitally native experiences, thinking differently about tracking, optimizing for qualitative insights, things like this that attract people that see the same problems in the market, that see the vision of the world the same that way, the way, way that we are. And we no longer get viewed as a commodity player. We actually get viewed as the only choice if companies want to do the things that we're doing. And we know that the message is going to hit because we did the insights up front and we did the research. So we know that people already experienced these problems. I want to talk one thing more on strategy. I want to talk about talent access, talent acquisition, and culture. I think it's one of the strongest parts of my business and has allowed us to scale very quickly, create a great experience for people, um, differentiate in the market, um, and acquire, honestly, a, a group of 125 people that I've never been a part of a company with such a dense amount of talent. And I think it comes down to, a, like I mentioned before, leaders leading, but also because of the way that we do marketing and because of the way that we have this unique point of view, it's not only customers that we attract, we attract a lot of talent as well. So I talk, I consult with some marketing ops firms and some other parallel businesses to mine that struggle to acquire that are somewhere between 15 and 50 people right now and struggle to acquire talent because not only does the market see you as a commodity, but also potential employees do. And when you're competing for talent, you're competing with everybody. You're competing with companies that just raised $500 million to, to build a software product, right? So what are you able to do from a create a culture standpoint to create this differentiation? I want to talk through this little point here is that if you are not thinking about your business as a natively digital operating culture, then you are vulnerable long-term. This is, it is completely over the days of being physical in person for a majority of the time. And what we've been able to do as a business is we think about our primary HQ as a business that's in the cloud. It's over Slack. It's inside of Zooms. It's these types of things. And we're able to, because of the way that we operate this way and the way that we think, that we actually are able to create and permeate a culture of trust, autonomy, and things like that digitally. And then we use analog experiences. Like we did a trip. We had 100 plus people in San Diego for three days a couple of uh, months ago, we're able to create experiences that bring people together and allow those bonds to form even further. I started this company in 2019 as a remote-only company before the pandemic happened. And this was a strategic choice. And I think it it is indicative of a lot of the ways that I think about the world native digitally, solely because of the reason that if we want to accomplish our mission of completely changing the way companies do marketing, I'm going to need access to talent that is in a space greater than two miles of Boston to be able to commute. And so now we're able to access talent all over the country. And it also creates a significantly different employee experience because we're getting people that start working for us and they live in San Francisco. And then three months after they start working for us, they move to Idaho, they build a huge home, they start a family and they live a much better life than they did before. And that makes me happy. And so being able to think a little bit more progressively about how your culture operates in business, I think is going to be a huge differentiator that's going to allow you to access top talent moving forward. 
There are plenty of companies that are not going to heed this call. We're seeing it in the news already, bigger companies, but it's going to happen at small companies too, that are not going to heed this call and they are going to lose critical players, A players that you can acquire for your business. Okay. So now we got the insights. We've talked about strategy in all facets, revenue generation, culture, product, things like that. And the third piece that I want to talk through and the way that I think about building an unfair competitive advantage is creating demand. Creating demand is focused on going out and getting people, I'm going to talk mainly on revenue generation here, so buyers that are not aware of your business, that are not thinking about hiring a category or a firm like yours right now, that are not thinking about what your product does, that are not prioritizing the business problem that you solve right now, how do you go out and get all those people, which, oh, by the way, is more than 99% of the market, most likely. So most people are not thinking about buying you or working with you right now. And how do you get out into the market and move people from not interested, not aware, not considering into consideration? which is the number one thing that companies struggle with right now because they always think about things like sales first, like analog sales first. And they think about things very transactionally. And so for those of you that, one more time, how many people follow my content? Raise your hand. Woo, thank you. Thank you. Great. Appreciate the person standing there. That's awesome. For the people that follow my content, you know that there's zero intention of ever having any of you become my customer. And because of the way that I approach that in a very non-transactional, long-term way, it actually creates more customers. And so it creates the right intent. When people think, I hear people talk about all the time, like, oh, uh, people are fatigued by webinars. What are we going to do instead virtually? And I tell them, people are not fatigued by webinars. They're fatigued by bad webinars, right? We, <laughs> we, we have people show, more than 100 people showing up to our virtual events two times a week for the past 100 plus weeks. People are not fatigued by the webinar. They're fatigued by the intent of you selling them. They're fatigued by not having people that are talking there that are not subject matter experts. They're fatigued by content that's not valuable. They're fatigued by being followed up by a sales team after they attend a webinar that they're, and they're not interested in buying and it's annoying. Those are the reasons that people don't come back. And so I wanna talk through what most businesses do is most businesses spend time competing for existing demand. They do SEO, they buy Google ads, they do cold calling, they send cold emails, they do things like this. They spend time hoping to compete for the demand that's already existing. If somebody is going to Google and searching for B2B PR firm, that means that the demand's already been created. Some, and what happened before the person got to Google? How did the person think that they needed a B2B PR firm? And why, when they went to Google, do they not search for your company's name instead of B2B PR firm? And that's what happens for my business. Because we create demand, when people come to Google, they're not searching for B2B growth marketing agency. They search for Refine Labs. They come to our website. They book a consultation. And they don't even consider another vendor. And this is the power of creating demand. Especially at this time right now, I don't know how it's feeling in Belgium, but in the US, it is clear that we are in an economic slowdown. Spending is going down, companies are investing less, there are a lot of layoffs happening, and what companies do, 
from a revenue generation process during this time is they compete harder for existing demand while the demand declines. When money comes out of the system, the buying, the amount of people buying for any category is going to decline. So if you have 10 vendors and they were all competing for 100 customers in January, those 10 vendors are now competing for 60 customers now. So there are less customers. They spend, typically they spend more money to compete for the demand. Customer acquisition cost goes up and revenue goes down. And instead, the way that you bypass that is that you stop competing, you move out of the space, you create the demand, and then people come in and search for your brand and you don't need to compete anymore. And so I want to get through, I want to get into the tactics of people have their if people have their notebooks, this is where the things I, I always want my talks to have something that you could take away, you could implement today or tomorrow. I'm going to break down exactly what my business does, and you could absolutely replicate it for your business with success. I'm going to talk through a, 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 a format and a framework that we use to create content and how we distribute it to create demand. The number one thing that we do and where it all starts is it starts at live events, typically virtual events. And so we have live events with an audience where I spend time doing free consulting. I spend time communicating my thoughts. And then we spend at least an hour at each event answering questions from people of free consulting that a lot of people would pay thousands of dollars an hour for. And the reason that we do it is because all the people that are on the show are helping us create the content by providing the questions. And if the people that are in the audience are asking the questions, then I know that the 50,000 people that listen to our podcast now also have similar questions. And that's why people find our content so valuable because it's so relevant, because it's so real, because we, we don't use the event to sell to the audience. We use the event to have the audience help us create great information. And then we distribute the information and we get the benefits on, on the, the later distribution. And so we create a live event. We've done that since March, 2020, when the, the week that the pandemic happened, we'd been doing live physical events before that with a lot of success. The week the pandemic happened, we pivoted and transitioned into a virtual event. And we did that every week for more than 115 weeks now. We did that event every week. We ended up creating over 300 podcast episodes. And through that event, have been able to, one, create a great event. The people that were on episode one, believe it or not, were also there last week when I did the event. And that's how you know if your content is being good. And the reason why I love this format so much is because you'll know whether or not the content's valuable, whether people stay for the whole 90 minutes of the event, whether they come back next week, what they say about these things. The, a lot of companies spend a lot of time creating content that people don't want. And so by using the event, you guarantee, or at least you get the feedback so that you know either way, you, you guarantee that you have the feedback to know whether or not the information is actually valuable. And I think the number one KPI is how many people come back to a second event. So we use the event. When you do that event around your point of view, what happens is you actually create a community too. I talked about this earlier. It's a way to get insights, right? So I run the event and people are asking questions and I'm collecting data all the time. Once you have this piece of content recorded from a Zoom, then it can immediately be repackaged and posted almost exactly to YouTube and a podcast, long form content hubs that you can use to put the recording almost directly on these channels. That's what we've done. So we spend a lot of time doing. And then from there, 
you can have a firm can help you. You can hire an intern to do this, to edit the videos. You can use the format that I use on LinkedIn. You can design your own format, whatever you want. And then I'd highly suggest that you create clips that are somewhere between one and 10 minutes that are recorded from the event that you did with either your CEO or another expert at your company that are offering consulting and great advice and take those videos and you put them on LinkedIn. The amount of companies that are not taking LinkedIn seriously right now is wild. On August 9th, 2019, when I saw what I saw on LinkedIn, I remember the date exactly because it'll be one of the most impactful dates of my life and definitely changed my career forever. I decided that every single day until further notice, I'm going to produce content for LinkedIn. And my mindset going into it is that I'm going to produce the best content on marketing in the world for there. And I'm going to understand the platform better than anybody else so that if the CMO of Salesforce needs help with LinkedIn, they're going to come to me because I understand it the best. And I approach it every day at 9 a.m. Eastern on LinkedIn that I get to spend time and I get to do a keynote just like this one. But instead of doing it to the 800,000 people that are here right now, I get to do it to hundreds of thousands of people now every single day. And so instead of waiting for the conference that's going to happen in six months for me to be able to do my one hour speech, I'm able to do that every single day on LinkedIn and you all can too. LinkedIn is such a huge opportunity. I'm pushing you all to, to really consider it. In the professional services side, my angle and my recommendation is to produce content organically first, demonstrate that it works when you get the feedback from the audience and the engagement and it actually drives business results, and then decide if you want to use media to amplify it. Use paid ads if you're going after CMOs at banks that are this size, then you could actually go in and LinkedIn and target them once you've demonstrated that your content works for CMOs that work at banks of that size. On the product side, companies that have higher gross, higher gross margins, different business valuations, typically have raised money, it's actually a different story. And I recommend the reverse, which is using paid to accelerate the process and then, and then leveraging that in organic. The last thing that I want to talk about here is once you've done all that stuff as a leader, right? That's I did, I've done that for the past three years, which has been able to create such a body of work, such a such a level of momentum that now all the people at my company do it too, and we're able to be able to create a framework and a process so that people know what good looks like. People see how I do the events. They see that I do it consistently. They see that I reply to the comments and start conversations. They see when people come in and ask for a consultation and book a call with our sales team that people, many people say, when we ask, how did you hear about us? They say, your CEO's content on LinkedIn or Chris Walker's content on LinkedIn. And so the people at my company see that and know that it works. I've paved the way. And now, two years later, people come in and ask for a consultation to talk with our sales team. And they say, Sam Keenlay's posts. They say, Sydney Waterfall's posts. Other people that work at my company now, because of how we've done this, are now driving business for my, my company. A lot of people call that employee advocacy. I really like thinking about it a little bit differently than that, because employee advocacy feels forced, it feels stuffy, it feels packaged. 
And what we, what I do is I empower people to talk about the things that they want to talk about. I actually love when people write posts that have nothing to do with marketing or business. One people that one person that works in my company often talks about fitness only, which is great. It perfectly communicates my thesis, which is that I want to empower people to talk about what they want. Coming up on the close here, I just want to say if you all if you all are in this room right now, then you're already more than halfway there. You're already ahead of a lot of other people that aren't thinking about this. There is such a huge opportunity to be able to act. I know that it's hard. I know that it's easier to think about hiring someone else. I know that it's easier to think about delegating it to someone in the marketing department at your company. I couldn't push you harder enough to try this for yourself, spend a month of time, try and do a couple of these events, try and offer free consulting, try and figure out how to post content on LinkedIn and see what it feels like. And you will be amazed when you post content on LinkedIn and then you get within a month, if you take this seriously, within a month, you will get a DM from somebody, a direct message from someone that says what you posted was really interested. I'd be interested in talking to you about how we could implement that at my company. People will message you and say, what you posted and talk about is really interesting. I would be interested if you want, would be open to being on our podcast. People will say, I thought that was interesting. I would be interested in you coming and speaking to my marketing or my executive team about how you're thinking about this part of the business so that we could try it too. And once you get that, you can't unsee it. Once you feel it, you realize that, wow, I used to think that LinkedIn was something that I kind of did on the side or that I had our intern do or that we hired an agency to ghostwrite my posts for. And then you transition to, this is the most important thing that I could do for my company right now as a CEO. Besides driving the vision and creating an amazing space to work, LinkedIn is the most important thing that I could do in my company right now. And then you have this crazy combo. You have a combination of a long form podcast that a lot of people love listening to where people will spend 90 minutes of time three times a week listening to what I have to say about marketing. And we have this micro distribution inside of LinkedIn where I'm posting videos and content on LinkedIn, which is then the gateway to people figuring out that we have a podcast and listening to it. And so LinkedIn becomes the entry point from the podcast or to the podcast, but the podcast is actually what drives the most results for our business today. And we measure it using, like I mentioned, we use a not, not very complicated way to do it, but it's really effective. And we just ask people when they sign up for a consultation, how did you hear about us? And when we do that, I have very clean data about where it comes from. And I want to share this with you because I think if you did this for yourself, you would get different data and it would drive and it would change how you think about generating customers and generating revenue. In our data, if you ask, how did you hear about us for customers when they, be, when they actually buy, not leads, when they actually buy those customers, 47% of our revenue this year comes from people that say they heard about us on our podcast or somebody else's podcast. 29% of the revenue comes from people that say they heard about us on LinkedIn. 13% of the revenue comes from people that heard about us through word of mouth or communities. And a small percentage is other and different things like that. But a 97% uh, of it comes from what I talked about before in dark social channels, social media, content platforms, word of mouth, communities. 
That's when we ask customers what they say qualitatively. That's what they say. And if you look at what HubSpot says, or if you look at what an attribution tool says, then it says that 80% of our customers come from SEO. And this is the breakthrough thing that you might need in your business to realize that a lot of the things that you're doing right now, because they're easy to measure, they show up as the way that drives revenue. But by asking customers, you'll figure out what's actually creating the demand. And if you push your business and you push your marketing efforts focused on creating demand, like I mentioned at the beginning, you're going to be positioned as the only vendor. You're going to be positioned as the leader in your space. You're going to be positioned as somebody that can really help people in a unique way. So I couldn't push people harder to, to really, really take this opportunity seriously. It's been such a pleasure to be here. I, uh, I really appreciate you all listening to me and uh, love, look, look forward to catching up with some people after the event. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone. Really appreciate you tuning into this episode of the State of Demand Gen podcast. I just wanted to take a second to say to all of the listeners out there, we just crossed over 40,000 listeners across the world to this podcast. And so super grateful and super happy that for all of you, really appreciate you tuning in, attending the live events, engaging on the LinkedIn content, and now watching us get started up and engaging on YouTube and TikTok. And so thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you. And if you haven't already, if you've gotten value from the podcast, I would really appreciate if you could go to Apple Podcasts in the review section of this podcast and leave a quick review or a rating. It would mean a lot to me. Thank you very much. And we'll see you for the next episode.